Well, good morning, Frontline family. So good to be with you all this morning. After coming out of that beautiful time of worship, our hearts should be well prepared for what it is the Lord has to say to us in His Word. So with that same attitude of worship, let's turn our attention and focus now to the Word of God. Church, this morning we continue with our series, Preaching the Kingdom, and the title for today's message is Decision Time. If you're taking notes this morning, it is decision time. It has been said that according to some research done, that the average adult makes about 35,000 decisions a day. Did you know that? And in that report, apparently we think about food over 225 times a day. Apparently. Some men have reported that on Sunday mornings before coming to church, that women make their 35,000 decisions in about an hour because they never know what to wear. <laughs> I just added that last part. And that's not my wife, by the way. I just, I'm just hearing what you guys tell me on Sunday mornings. It's not yours either. Eh? <laughs> but jokes aside, we make on average 35,000 decisions a day. And I don't know how they know all of this, but if those numbers are even remotely correct... That means if you're an adult for, let's say, 60 years of your life, you will make over 750 million decisions in your adult life. And yes, the decisions will range from very basic ones to critically important ones, but there will be choices before us every moment where we will have to make a decision on the right way or the wrong way to go. In this section of scripture that we're covering this morning, Jesus calls his followers to make a decision, to make the most important decision they'll ever make in their lives. He starts off by saying in verses 13 to 14, he says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Church, as we start drawing to a close in this mountain of a sermon, we know by now that Jesus has been addressing the disciplines, the principles, and values of the Christian life, the kingdom of God, and explaining to us what it means to be kingdom ambassadors. Jesus has been speaking about the characteristics of a Christian and been laying down these very vivid principles that are completely countercultural. He raises the standard on just about every issue of life and addresses issues of the heart that are just as important today as they were over 2,000 years ago. Last week we reached what some call the summary of the Sermon on the Mount where we spoke about God's golden rule and the positive ethic of selfless love and self-sacrificing. Jesus says, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's really the summation of what the Lord has been telling us and showing us up until Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. But from verse 13 onwards, Jesus' message turns to application. And to making the right decision. It turns to decision time. Now, 
something that we need to know about Jesus is that he always calls his disciples to make a decision. He's always calling you and I to make a decision because he knows that being indecisive leads to lukewarmness. Do you remember when Jesus was walking upon the shore of Galilee in the beginning of his ministry and he sees Peter and Andrew, he sees James and John and, and he calls out to them. Does he say to them, guys, come and admire me or come and think about me or come and consider me? No, he says to them, come and follow me, right? Make a decision. As we read in the Gospels, Peter and Andrew left their nets and left their boats and decided to make a decision to follow Jesus. James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee, they left their boats and they left their nets and they even left their father to make a decision to follow Jesus. We also read in the Gospels about Matthew, the tax collector. He's asked to follow Jesus and he leaves his occupation of the tax office and follows him. And you see, church, the gospel of Jesus Christ always calls us to make a decision. Not sometimes, not most of the times, always. And truthfully, sometimes those decisions are hard. That's why it says in verse 14, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. You might remember the story of the rich young ruler in chapter 19. He comes up to Jesus and he asks him, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says to him, keep the commandments and, and you will be fine. But he says to Jesus, which ones? Jesus says to him, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You should not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, I have kept all of these from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. What did he decide to do? He didn't decide to follow Jesus because it says, when the young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, church, what's fascinating to me is that Jesus didn't run after him and say, wait, 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 my words are a bit too strong for you. I know this is a very difficult decision for you to make, so let me just lower the bar a little bit for you. You're good looking, you know what, you're wealthy, I would love to have you as part of my team, so, so don't worry about that last part. No, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus always raises the bar because he knows that the fallen nature is happy to settle for less than the best. And the best is only found in a fully committed and surrendered life to Christ. And that's not always an easy thing to do. And so church, that's what Jesus is doing at this juncture of the sermon. He's asking his followers to make a decision. Because he doesn't just want the sermon to be praised, he wants it to be practiced. It's not just to be listened to, but obeyed. And church, it's like Jesus pauses at this point of the sermon and says, what are you going to do with what I've been telling you? Let's read verses 13 and 14 again. It says, enter by the narrow gate, 
For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Church, as we start concluding the Sermon on the Mount, you will see the, the many obvious and twofold scenarios that Jesus makes reference to. There are two gates, wide and narrow. There are two ways, broad and narrow. There are two destinies, life and destruction. There are two crowds, many and few. From verses 15 to 26, there are two trees, good and corrupt. Two fruits, good and bad. And then there are two behaviors, the hearers and the doers. There's two builders, wise and foolish, two foundations, rock and sand, and then two houses, one that stands and one that falls. And it's a simple distinction that sums up all of religion. And I couldn't imagine a clearer way to depict the choice that everyone has. You either choose the narrow way or the broad way. And that choice that you make, you, that now revolves into the, the different scenarios that Jesus presents us with. There are only two. The narrow gate is very narrow, very constricted and difficult to get through. So narrow, in fact, that you can't bring all of your baggage with you. The broad gate is open to everyone and allows for all kinds of religions and viewpoints. And you can bring as much baggage as you want because the gate is wide. One gate, however, is the path to heaven and the other, though marked heaven, is a direct road to hell. You see, both roads are religious. This is not religion and non-religion. This is not Christianity and non-Christianity. This is true Christianity and then other forms of Christianity and every other form of religion. Both roads are religious. Both promise God. Both promise heaven. And listen, church, nobody is selling hell. Nobody says, come and join my religion or come and join this new age movement because we're all going to hell. Nobody sells hell. Everybody sells heaven. But the broad road, though marked heaven, is a straight road to hell. So the command comes very clear. Enter by the narrow gate. And let's just break that down a little bit and understand the true way to heaven. Very important for us as Christians to understand what this, this part of the scripture really means. First of all, it says enter the narrow gate. Church, that's a command. Enter is in the authoritative in the Greek. It's a command and it is a call for an immediate response. It's a, a command without an alternative. It's a command that must be obeyed. If it is not obeyed, it is then in defiance of the will of God. And can I say something to you this morning? It's not an invitation. It is a command. And this is important to know, church, because there are many people who admire the Sermon on the Mount. There are many people who admire that Jesus died and rose again. They don't even defy that. They might even associate with Christianity in some form or another and admire things concerning the gospel, but never enter. You must enter. The verb is enter. 
it doesn't do you any good to stand on the outside and just admire it. It's a command and not to enter is disobedience. That's why it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, the retribution of God comes to those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. You obey because the gospel is a command. And church, when you share the gospel with people, yes, we need to be sensitive to where people are at, but importantly, we don't invite people to believe. You need to tell them it is a command to believe. You need to tell them it is a command to repent so that it is crystal clear that what they have done is either obey or disobey. We can't present a watered-down gospel or a gospel that, that is gray, with these gray areas. People need to know that they've either obeyed or they have disobeyed the command. Secondly, not only does Jesus say you must enter, but you must enter by a specific gate. In other words, there is no other way in. This gate and this gate alone leads to eternal life. And church, who is the gate? It is Jesus. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 verse 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Right? In John chapter 1 verse 12, John writes, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's only when you put your hope in Christ, only when you listen to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe that gospel, that you are saved and sealed unto eternal life. So to put it very plainly and clearly, there is no other gate, there is no other redeemer, and there is no other savior that sacrificed himself for our sins that leads to eternal life. Can I get an amen to that? So the command is that we must enter, and we must enter by the gate who is Jesus. Thirdly, church, and, and this is an important one, you must enter this gate by yourself. You must enter this gate alone. This is not a collective experience. This is not about you joining a religion or a church or even something that you're born into. And so you're just automatically part of this group that will all end up in heaven one day. No, you come all alone. The gate is narrow and it only admits one person at a time. It's like a turnstile. Only one person can get through at a time. It, it is exclusive and deeply personal. And in fact, church, you may have to part with friends and, and family and the crowd with which you've been associated your whole life when you arrive at the gate. Jesus said this on, on many different occasions. You have to be willing to let go of those things in your life. He says in Luke chapter 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, also his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
In other words, church, you have to be willing to let go of the world, stop loving the world and all the things that are in it. When we come through the gate, we have to understand that even though it's hard to let go, we, we often leave our usual company behind. Relationships have to be set aside, no matter how important they are, no matter how critical they are, or how familiar and natural they are. You alone make this decision to enter the gate. To give an example, if you know you have someone that's close to you, and you now, you're not sure that you want to make this decision because how it's going to affect your relationship or how they're going to look at you. You have to make this de decision alone and enter the gate by yourself. To give you a biblical example, it's like the children of Israel who thought that because they were born out of the seed of Abraham and that all the males were circumcised, that they had the sign of the covenant. They thought that because they were Jews and they had this heritage and this mark of circumcision and they had received the law of God, they were fine. But Paul says to them, all of this is to no avail. It is worthless if there hasn't been circumcision in your own heart. Jesus says you must enter this gate alone. Number four, you must enter this gate with difficulty. Why do I say that? That's what Jesus says in verse 14. He says, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. So difficult, in fact, that there are few who find it. And church, do you know why it's difficult sometimes and, and why there are few who find it? Let me give you one or two examples. The problem with the, the age that we're living in is that we have access to, to so many teachers. Some people will go from teacher to teacher and from church to church. But the question is, how many religious buildings would you have to go into how many religious teachers would you have to listen to before you find somebody who told you the truth about the way into the kingdom of God, the way into heaven? It can be a desperate and agonizing search for many people. The enemy of our soul, Satan, has created so many false systems of religion and packed the world with so many false teachers and false gospels that, first of all, it's hard to find the truth. Even when you found the Bible... If you are under the influence of a false teacher, he'll teach you something that is not true about that very Bible that you're holding. It's hard to find the truth. Let me go further and say that it's not only difficult to enter because it's hard to find, but it's difficult because when you find it, it is very hard to go through. Jesus says in Luke chapter 13 verse 24, he says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. What an amazing statement that is. Strive to enter. Strive is to agonize, so therefore agonize to enter by the narrow gate. And church, what Jesus is saying here is that even when you've heard the truth, it is difficult to embrace the truth and to make a commitment to that truth. It's not an easy thing. That's why Matthew 11 verse 12 says, the days of John the Baptist, until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Church, in other words, it's for people who seize it. It's not for the passive. It's not for the faint-hearted or the indifferent. 
It's this picture of violence, of effort, of agonizing, of desperation that you wanted that much. This is what Jeremiah meant in, in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13. Where he said, you will seek me and find me when you search me with all of your heart. At church, it's you and I coming to the gate and saying, I have no other hope. I am so desperate that I am willing to let go of all other hope, all other religion, right? All ceremony, all pride, all self-seeking and all self-righteousness. I abandon myself and I deny myself because I am that desperate to enter. Number five, you must count the cost before you enter the narrow gate. You know, church, salvation is never marketed as cheap and easy by Jesus. It is so much more than just saying a prayer, right? Raising your hand and saying a prayer, and now you're on your way to heaven. That's why in Luke chapter 14, Jesus shares this parable, and he says, you have to understand what you're getting into. And why do you need to understand this? Because this decision is going to cost you everything. Jesus, again, uses this, the same language in this parable, and I'll paraphrase it for you. He says, if, anyone, if someone comes to me, it involves him hating his family if necessary, hating his own life, carrying his cross. And he says, this is such an extreme decision that you better calculate it like a man who calculates whether he has enough money to build a tower before he starts. Or like a man that's going to war with somebody and he calculates his troops and whether or not he's got enough to withstand the onslaught of the enemy and then win the victory, right? You've got a, a lot at stake here. Count the cost before you enter the gate. You don't want to make a decision and you, and you fall by the wayside a couple of weeks down the line. So church, this is what it means to enter by the narrow gate. Firstly, you are commanded to enter. Secondly, there is no other gate that leads to eternal life, and His name is Jesus. You must enter this gate on your own, all by yourself. Number four, you must enter the gate with difficulty and take it violently by force if necessary, because that's how much you desire entering in. And finally, you must count the cost before you enter the gate, because it will cost you everything. Now, I want you to compare that with the wide gate. Let me give you some of the, the differences here. The wide gate is very easy to find. It is marked with a big bright sign that says heaven is this way. It's easy to enter and you can come on in with everybody else. It is a collective experience. You can bring in all your baggage. You don't have to drop anything. You can bring, bring your pride, your sin, your self-righteousness. There's no call for repentance, no commitment to a life of obedience to Christ. You just roll on in because it's that easy. Just sign here, raise your hand, do this, join the religion, follow the crowd. As you go through the wide gate, there's also plenty of room for diverse doctrine and, and tolerance. Tolerance of this view, that view, any view for that matter. In fact, doctrine shouldn't be, even be an issue because that will just divide us. 
I mean, why should we worry about the real truth when we can all be happy rolling along on the broad way? But as it says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the broad way of the ungodly shall perish. By the way, church, there are salesmen who sell tickets for the wide gate and the broad road. They're just about everywhere you go. You can buy tickets all over the place. It's very hard to find someone who will direct you to the narrow gate, but very easy to find the ticket sellers for entrance to the broad gate. And there's a warning about these type of people in verse 15. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. These false prophets are selling you the tickets to hell, but on the tickets are printed heaven. They dress up as sheep's clothing, which means they are posing as prophets because a prophet would wear a garment of wool. So they dress like a prophet, but inside they are hungry wolves. They want to grip you, rip you, and tear you apart for their own personal gain. The truth of their character is described in verses 16 to 20. They are producers of bad, corrupt fruit, and it says we ought to look very closely and carefully to see what kind of fruit they display. And church, just to pause there for a moment, I want to ask you a question. Why is it important for us as Christians to be aware of false prophets? Can I tell you why? Because false doctrine cannot restrain sin. And let me ask you, are there any sinners in this place today? What happens if we are not presented with the truth? It cannot restrain sin. If you're not hearing the truth, you're not going to be restrained in the sin that you're in. And you know, church, it would be much easier for me to come here Sunday after Sunday and preach a feel-good gospel message. It would probably take me half the time to prepare and we would all feel here leaving or leave here feeling pumped up and excited about our connection with God. It would be much easier for me to skip the hard parts of Scripture and only entertain you every week. It would be a lot easier for me to not say to you today that if you haven't entered the narrow gate, even though you are claiming to be a Christian, you may very well be on your way to hell. I don't like telling you that if you've adopted your faith or you've just said a prayer and then carried on with your normal life and there's been no real transformation that you're actually heading on the wrong way, on the wrong path. I don't get pleasure out of telling these things, church, but as a gatekeeper, as a watchman, as your pastor, I take scriptures like Ezekiel chapter 33 very seriously. Do you know what it says in Ezekiel chapter 33? The Lord speaks to the prophet Ezekiel about judgment coming against sin, about judgment coming to a people, and he says to him, he says to him, son of dust, tell your people, when I bring an army against the country, that's bringing judgment against the people, and the people of that land choose a watchman. That's someone who has spiritual oversight over that, that land or that community. And when he sees the army coming and blows the alarm to warn them, then anyone who hears the alarm but refuses to heed it, well, if he does, the fault is his own. For he heard the warning and wouldn't listen, the fault is his. 
If he had heeded the warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and does not sound the alarm and warn the people, he is responsible for their deaths. They will die in their sins, but I will charge the watchman with their deaths. The blood will be on his hands. Church, my responsibility above everything else is your pastor is to present you with the whole truth about the gospel. Every part of it. And to warn you that if you don't respond to it in the right way, you will miss the mark and end up on the road that leads to everlasting hell. So church, you may not always like what is preached from this pulpit, but let, let it never be said for the people that attend Frontline Church that the gospel message is vague, that this is a, a watered-down gospel. And you see, church, this is what Jesus is warning against towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says that if you don't take this call and commitment seriously, if you don't seek out the full truth about the gospel and obey the command to enter the right way, if you don't enter alone and you aren't willing to really live a life of complete obedience and surrender to the Word of God and to the will of God, you stand the risk of coming to the white throne judgment one day and the Lord says to you, I never knew you. This is what Jesus is saying here from verses 21 to 23. Let me read it for you. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You see, that's the difference between the hearers and the doers. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So church, as I close this morning, I want to be the watchman that says to you today, that if you're not sure that you've entered the right gate the right way, in that maybe you've just adopted your parents' faith, or maybe you've just raised your hand and said a prayer one day, but there's, there was no inner conversion that took place, and your life is still the same, you're still behaving the same way, you're still talking the same way, and you're still just looking after your own interests and not willing to surrender any part of your life to Jesus Christ, then I would say to you today, that you need to obey the gospel command and make a decision to follow Jesus and enter the narrow gate. So that when you meet Jesus face to face one day, he doesn't say to you, I never knew you. Instead, he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you made a decision to enter the narrow gate, to live a life of sacrifice, to leave your old life behind. And yes, it's not an easy life to live, but you made the commitment to do that. Well done, good and faithful servant. And church, you know, this is not about being perfect. We'll only be perfect when we meet Jesus, if you've given your heart to Jesus. This is not about perfection. This is about obedience. It's about obedience to the gospel of your salvation. And I would say to you this morning, it's, it's decision time. It's time to make the number one decision out of the 750 million plus decisions that you will make throughout your adult life. Like it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I'm going to say this to you today. 
I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. That both you and your descendants may live. 